welcome back. Today uh, we, uh, we are focusing on putting Seder into our Seder. So hopefully this will be a shear where we can take out something, we can take home something, and uh, whether it be home, whether it be with family, wherever it's going to be, um, let's try to grow through the process, share through the process, live through the process, or some ideas. I want to just first of all thank the sponsors um, um, to, to Emechi and Abe Zerik who are sponsoring the show this morning for, uh, for uh, um, her mother's yard site, Pearl, Mrs. Pearl Rosenblum, or Rebitson Pearl Ro Rosenblum, um, Panina Peril Bas Rebiakova Kohen, um, where we, uh, we I've, just, I've just started the, bi the biography of her father, <coughs> Rabbi Rosenblum. So there's a, an incredible history, an incredible history of part of the American Jewish history and the Hirschian history. Of the of the mishpacha, We also want to thank uh, Lisa Friedman, who is sponsoring um, on on two accounts the, um, for uh, for Ira for Yisrael Masano Ben Shlomo, somebody who impacted all of our lives in, in this room, somebody who we, we we deeply remember. We also remember that uh, remember that 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 was Pesach. The, uh, remember that it was it was his. Uh, he he got through the lot of the first two days of Pesach to be with the mishpacha. That was that was uh, that was that was around now, around specifically now, and also for Lisa's ma um, mother-in-law, Mrs. Miriam Friedman, Miriam Basnesanel, and it's of course a pleasure to have Miriam here. Um, so the the namesake, the namesake continues. It, it should be in Nishmasai and then in Nishmasa, as we continue to always be impacted by um, by Ira and uh, and his family. Also, we are we're the today's show is sponsored by. Uh, Mark Berlin. This is the first yard site of uh, Mrs. Judith Berlin, his mother, Yehudis Bat Yitzchak. Um, being there at the Leviathan a year ago, um, I do remember just what, what an incredibly worldly and cultured individual she was. What a breath of optimism and fresh air she was to the family and to those around her. And uh, a tremendous loss for him for the entire Mishpacha. And Imetz Hashem, he should find continued Nechama this coming year. Without much further ado, let's let's start. Let's start. We're, we've got a lot a lot to, uh, ahead of us. I'm so excited about the share. In fact, I added an extra idea just this morning, five minutes before share. Wow. So I, th that that's how excited I am about this. There's, there's more there's more involved than even meets us. So let's let's start. Here we go. So what I decided to do is, is rather than just going through and sort of you know wading through the ocean. Of, of this particular topic and deciding what where I felt was interesting, I, I said let me, let's try to focus this year on on specific topics. The specific topic is any actions. Okay, so we're going to try to focus on the actions in the center. So we've we've done a lot in the, the past years: texts, greater themes, structure, superstructure. This year we're going to talk about uh, we're going to learn a little bit about some of the actions in the center and how they are relevant. So let's start at the very beginning. Starting with Karpas. So here's what the Haggadah tells us. If we open up our, our regular Haggadah, it says, mm. So we dip the Karpas, and yes, there's a debate <coughs> about what it is. My son, in my son's uh, six-year-old class, they had a vote whether it would be parsley or potato, and he said that he was outvoted with parsley, but he still prefers the potato. So there are, there are different, different, differing opinions as to what it is. Why is more the, more the relevant question. Why is it that, that we're doing this whole business? Why are we uh, we're dipping these hors d'oeuvres? Um, not so simple. So interestingly enough, a lot of it is actually attributed back to the following. Let's see if we can actually get some, uh, some text over here. Um, there must be a way to get it. Ah, oh, there we go. Here we go. So the, 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 Torah, says the, the Torah says the following. In Perk Shmois Vayavidu 
So the Torah tells us that Egypt enslaved us with what is called Parech. Parech literally means what? That's the way we translate it usually is they enslaved us with hard work. And it's interesting because what is, what is famously known is that if you take the word Parech itself, right, there is a, there, there is a certain sense, there is a, uh, the, the Karpas is, is, is sort of hidden in that word. You look at the word perech, it's chof, resh, pei, right? Which is essentially karpas, right? So if you look at back, hard work backwards, you have karpas in there. And that kind of relates to the fact that we're dipping it in the salt water, right? There's the tears, there's the, the bitterness. But it must be a little more than that, you know, because, you know, what happens if you're not linguistically inclined, right? You know, there's, uh, you know, you're going to naturally see that. That's going to be your first assumption as to what's going on. Not so simple. So... Interestingly enough, the Gemara <coughs> says the following. The Gemara says that it might not be that perach actually means hard labor. The Gemara says, quoting the Gemara in Sota, on your Aleph of a base, it says, Rabbi Eliezer Omar beperach beperach. It actually is a combination of two words, which means with a soft mouth. With a soft mouth. Interesting. What does that mean, a soft mouth? So the Medrash elaborates on this and says that, how is it that you get an entire nation of people to be enslaved? I mean, it just... You know, all you, need, all you need is some rational human being to say, this is not for me, and that's the end of it. Like, you know, just to get people to do things. This is the, before the age of social media. Well, how do you do this? So the Egyptians understood something very canny about the nation of Israel. By the way, they weren't even the nation of Israel. We'll call them Hebrews at this point. They don't even have a national identity as Israelites, so they're certainly not Jews, right? So the, the, they understood something interesting about the Hebrews, and that is, is that they called a national work week. And they said, all Egyptians, hear ye, hear ye. Here, here saith the king, O Pharaoh, who is going to say that all, all national citizens of Egypt should go to work in the fields. And that's what happened. And guess who led the charge? Naturally, the Hebrews, right? Because that's what we do. And slowly what happened was, after that week, then, then there were certain like, adjustments as to the, to the work law. And slowly the Egyptians started receding from it. And guess who remained? The Hebrews remained. And that's how it started. That's how the whole business began. And you think about that, when, you think, when, you, when we think about what, what that actually means, that means to say was, we in a certain sense were our own worst enemy. Because it was our willingness, our patriotism to the society, which our mother society, which we wanted, wanting to prove to those around us that we were so Egyptian that we weren't anyway connected to the foreign nation that we had come from, that ultimately we became we became slaves through that same process. We enslaved ourselves by, by biting that bait that they put out for us. And if you think back, back to history, how many times and how many short generations in every country, in every mother country that we've been, have we been trying to prove to that country that we're much more them than they are themselves? Think about it. You know, just, it's, it, this, is, this is actually a picture of a, this is a chaplain in the German army in World War I. These are the Jewish soldiers that are lighting Friday night candles in the Great War. In World War I, there were Jews who came out with the Iron Cross in World War I. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with serving Germany, but just remember how well it served us. Right? Meaning to say, we, 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 were, we were the best of every society. Did the society remember us when they killed us or kicked us out or pogroms? Or ex no, they didn't. They, 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 they didn't. they didn't worry about that. It started in Egypt. Says Rabbi Benjamin Blech in his Agat, it actually came out just a year ago. Really a beautiful Agat. I just bought there were some of the Agatas I brought. So it's called... Um, it's called Redemption, Then and Now. So for those of you who are interested in seeing it, he has a very fascinating piece. And he says, 
This is why the word karpas, which reminds us of this threat, assumes such a prominent place in the Seder. <coughs> and that's why its meaning is hinted by reading it backwards. Because this truth can never be understood at the time it occurs, but only when viewed with wisdom of hindsight, in retrospect. Looking backwards, we can understand how we were foolishly misled into Egypt, uh, by e in Egypt, as well as all other countries, in which we assumed that greater patriotism guaranteed our survival. Interestingly enough, you go back to 1944. Stephen Wise, head of the AJC, the most powerful Jew in America at the time. When it came to a march on Washington about bombing the tracks to Auschwitz, he suggested pacifism. We don't want to upset the government. He told that he actually advised the government to ignore the rabbis marching on Washington who are re requesting to bomb the tracks to Auschwitz. Why? Because American came before Jewish. There's a story, and this I, I mentioned yesterday, but it's such a powerful story. Golda Meir. This is a famous story about Henry Kissinger and Golda Meir. When the Israeli Prime Minister chided the American Secretary of State to remember his Jewish origins, he replied, Mrs. Meir, I'm an American Jew, an American first. Mr. Kissinger, she, she, uh, Golda responded. Here we read backwards, and here too the word karpas, we're reminded it to read in reverse direction as well. So sometimes so we, need, we need to think to ourselves, you know, for all the great achievements and, that we have and, and the greatest echelons in society that we've risen to, just remember, we did that in Egypt too. And that was our downfall. We need to, we need to retain that balance where we still have that connection to our core identity or we need to work out where our core identity lies. That's the question that Karapas has. Very, very powerful point. Idea number one. Let's move, let's move on to the next action item, which is... Oh, I apologize. I think we're actually going to do it this way around. Let's do, let's do Yachatz first, okay? Because Yachatz actually comes beforehand. Um, Yachatz. So we break the matzahs. Breaking the matzahs. The, the, the instructions in the Haggadah tells us, so you break it in two, you measure it up, and the bigger one goes away for Afikoman. We'll get back to Afikoman maybe a little bit later. Why the middle matzah? Why are you breaking it in half? Why is all this business? And everybody says, So the kids should ask. So what do you answer them? What exactly do you answer them? There has to be an answer to some of these questions. So there, I, I saw an interesting insight which was brought down in a separate Haggadah. This is called... This is called the historical Haggadah, if anybody has a chance. Rabbi Nachman Cohen. Rabbi Nachman Cohen is a researcher who still works at YU. You have a chance to, to, to meet him. He's doing incredible research. He's putting out volume upon volume of, of ideas. And this is his Haggadah. When I was working in YU, he very kindly, he very kindly gave me a copy. Um, and he says that he suggests a very interesting thing. He quotes the Gemara. This is a Gemara which I, I assume many of us have heard, but I never heard it in the connection of the Haggadah at all. Here's what the, the Gemara itself says. I put the translation and the, the, the actual text of it itself. So let's just, I want to just actually just read it, um, read it out loud. So here's what, the, here's what the Gemara says. Here is what the Gemara says. This is the Gemara in Shabbos stuff, Pei Tesla Mabes. It says, Amr Bishmul Bar Nachmeni, Amr Yochanan. My dear says, there's a question. What is this Pasuk which says, Ki vino, ki avram, uh, ki avram no yadanu. So the apostle seems to say that Avram forgets us, Yisrael sold us down the river, and Hashem, because of you, you're going to save us. Okay, so what's this referring to? What's this apostle actually referring to? So the Gemara tells us, I mean, this, is, this story is so shocking that we're about to hear. If you hadn't seen this in print, we would, it would have been heresy if we, if we had made it up ourselves. Okay, this is, so here's what the story says. In the future, So Hashem comes to Avram and says, your, sins, your sons, your children, sin to me. What should I do? Avram looks at, the, looks at the tables, looks at the charts, and he says, you know, you're 100% right. There's nothing I can do. 
You know what the best opportunity um, the best opportunity you have is get rid of them, but at least get rid of them al kiddush shemecha, and that'll rectify the scales of what they've done through the course of Jewish history. Okay. You know what? Maybe Avram doesn't understand so well. Yeah, you know, his children, you know, Ishmael had a little bit of a you know, teenage, teenage years experience, but he came back in the end. Right? But Yaakov you know, had a tough, t- a tough time bringing up children. Right? He, he, he really had t- a tough time. So maybe Yaakov will be more empathetic to, uh, to the cause. So what does he do? He says, um, Maybe he will ask Rachamim for them. He says, Your son sinned. Yaakov says, You know, got a very convincing case. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry. So, Hashem says, The grandfathers don't have good advice. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no good word from the from the grandchildren. So he comes to Yitzchak, the middle one. Oh, Nebuch Yitzchak, he was always, he was always very quiet, right? Yitzchak doesn't have so much about him in the Torah. There's the, the, you know, we hear a lot about Avram, we hear a lot about Yaakov. Okay, maybe you know, who knows? Maybe Yitzchak will have something to say. So he comes over to Yitzchak. You know, it's like the husband who says, you know, honey, your daughter just, um, just threw the dessert on the kitchen floor. And so she says, my, my daughter? Right? So Yitzchak says, my children, not your children, Hashem? Really? That's the way it works? He says, When they said, you call them your firstborn. Now, now my son, now you're shifting, you're shunting the blame to me, Yitzchak? Void. So now, so now, now Yitzhak gets technical. And he says, we're going to make a deal. Hashem, we'll, we'll, we'll cut a deal together. Here we go. Listen, how, how much can they sin? Let's take an average lifespan of a human being. Shivim shana. Right, 70 years. And, you know, Baruch Hashem today, we're seeing the average increase. But, you know, up till, up till very recently, this is the, and, and still in many places. Shivim shana. We know that to the first 20 years, a person isn't really culpable for punishments, for whatever that means, and how that accumulates afterwards. Okay, so let's, let's discredit the first 20. So there's, there's 50 left. Okay. So take away 25 of them because of nights. Now remember, when there's no electricity, what happens when the, light, when the lights go out is you go to sleep. Today, I'm not so sure, you know, when the lights go, you know, when it gets dark outside, I'm not so sure we're so safe. Right? He says, but however, Dal Tarti Sariu Palgo, Ditsaluyu Umechel de Besakisa. So take another way, another half of those. Take 25 of those um, which, are, which are involved with, you know, davening, eating, going to the restroom. Poshulu Tarti Sari Palgo. So you know what there is? If you halve it down, you, got, you have two, two a 12 and a half. Imatos Soveles Kulam Mutavim, Lav Palgo Lai Palgo Alecha. So Yisok says, Hashem, if you're willing to just look, look, never. Look how much is left in a person's life to sin. Twelve and a half years. That's really, you know, I mean, that's full-time sinning. Right? So, uh, so he says, if you can say, uh, be so that, if you can bear that, that's wonderful. If not, you know what we'll do is we'll cut a deal. On my merit, on my credits, which means to say that whether Yisak has credit for this or he's going to be going to overdraft for this, he says, I'll take, I'll take half of it. I mean, and you think about it for a second, you know, when you talk about the sacrifice of Yisak, the sacrifice of Yisak wasn't just up on Haramoria. The sacrifice of Yisak was a continuing self-sacrifice for the community for his children. That, that's, that's what it meant. Avram, Yaakov weren't interested. Yisak was. 
So, so uh, Rav Nachman Cohen points out, well, it's interesting, because if you look at the Matzos, the Matzos have different symbolisms. Kohen, Levi, Yisrael, there's all the different symbolisms. One of them is, Avram Yisrael Yaak, which, which Matzah do we break? The middle Matzah. Why would we break it in half? Because, what did Yisrael say? Let's split it up. I'll, t- I'll bear the brunt of that. Think about the sacrifice of what that actually meant. That's, what that, that's, that's potentially what's happening over here. When you think about this, think about moments in our lives that we've made sacrifices for people when there was no interest, there was no, there was no end goal. Think about people from the previous generation who made sacrifices which we could not comprehend for the, on the sake of others when they're not, there's not something to gain. That's, that's what the, is happening in the middle of Matzah here. Let's go back to Halach Mania for a second. This is a, not backwards, but backwards in the slide, but it's the next section in, in the Haggadah. So we're told that so what you do is, is you, you open up the matzos and you say to everybody else, This is the broken, this is the poor man's bread that was eaten in, in Egypt. Anybody who wants, please come and eat. Anybody welcome in now. Forget the question about, about how it is that we're inviting people right now. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Sending an invitation after the wedding, you know. So like, what we like, that's that's not what's that's not what's um, happening over here. Uh, that's not what the, the, we're going to focus on. But the, the ba- there's another question at hand, and that is a very basic question, simple simple question here. Here you're inviting guests in, and you want to really impress your great guests. So what do you give them? You give you give them poor man poor man's bread. We're not we're not even we're not even like disguising that fact. We're not saying you know come and have a meal. We say here you go have this brittle. Cardboard, you know, like you know, like what kind of what kind of guests are you expecting to to impress with that, right? Meaning, like, let's talk about the korban pesach, right? Let's maybe even the charoises, right? <laughs> but the uh, but the the halach ma'anya, that's what that's your that's your five star service. That's what it means to be a, a host. Very strange, right? Never thought about that, right? It's like it's a, it's a strange way to, to enter the seder. So I- interestingly enough, I, the, uh, this is something I heard once. From my Jonathan Sachs, I, I don't, I didn't see it in, in print, but I saw, he, I heard him, qu- uh, he, him quote it a little while back. Let's see if we can get it actually in the, the quote. <coughs> yeah. There's a section co- in, in in a book called. Let's see if the if the, the if it's going to work. It looks like um, it looks like Mac Mac is a little bit behind um, Microsoft when it comes to these things. Here we go. Um, let's see if it arrives. There's a book called um, if this is a man by Primo Levi. So Primo Levi was, of course, a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote many different accounts, some of them autobiographical, some of them projected experiences, um, some very, I mean, there's some very terrifying experiences to write to when you, when you, 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 you this is not bedtime reading to read Primo Levi. Um, so he has a book called If This Is a Man, and he has a description now of the end of the, the, of, of the, the, re, the redemption from the concentration camps. This is his description. And it's the most remarkable thing, because it really is a purish on the Haggadah in a certain sense. Here's what he says. When the broken window was repaired and the stove began to spread its heat, something seemed to relax in everyone. Remember, the Germans have left. They are now in this broken camp. They have nobody to fend for themselves. There's no food. At this point, at this moment, Tarawaski, a Franco-Pole 23 with typhus, proposed to the others that each of them offer a slice of bread to us three who had been working, and so it was agreed. Only a day before, a similar event would have been inconceivable. The law of the lager said, eat your own bread, and if you can, that of your neighbor and left no room for gratitude. It really meant that the lager was dead. When you read Night, when you read Elie Wiesel, there was a conversation he has with a fellow as his father's in the bunk below him dying. So there's a fellow who comes over to him and says, take his bread, right, take his bread. Your life is worth more than his. And he refused to do that. He was trying to nurse his father who was dying slowly back to health. 
And the man, the man laughed at him. He says, you'll see. It wasn't worth the, the soup and bread that you gave him because you're, you, and meaning in a sort of sense, the self-centeredness of survival is so great. What Prime Olivia is saying is you could not share. It was the first human gesture that occurred among, among us. I believe at that moment can be dated as the beginning of the change in which we had no longer died slowly, changed from Haftlinger to men again. Meaning, the moment that a person can offer beyond themselves is the moment that they've now freed themselves from being constrict, cons, constricted to self-survival. That's ultimately what we're doing. If you think about the Haggadah saying, is You know what? We don't have much. But even that not much is worth, sh worth sharing. That's the greatest expression of freedom. That's the greatest expression of freedom. And like today, Baruch Hashem, if you think about how much we do have, you know, okay, let, let's try to think about how free we are when we really share it, if that's, if that's the benchmark of it. In so many different ways, you know, like, when you just see the way people drive, I mean, it's just uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, like, how free are we when we have to cut people off every moment of the day because we have to get the one extra second? How free are we? Right? We can have an individual here who has absolutely nothing besides the cloth <laughs> on their frail shoulders, and they're willing to share the crumbs that they have. That's freedom. That's what real freedom is. The Haggadah starts off by saying, who is free? Who's really free? That's the question that guy is begging from us. Let's go a little further. Pouring out the wine. This is just something which I thought on a halakhic level is very fascinating. Why is it that when we get to, this is of course, this is what you, we all keep the kids up for, right? Don't worry that the Marcos are coming. The song, pull out, the, pull out the cups, let's splash around, right? So the, 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 the Ramot tells us, this is the Rav Moshe Islis in codifying Jewish law in Simon, Tough Ayn Gimel, Siv Zayn says, You throw out a little bit of the cup with your finger. Now, don't get carried away. Lizroik doesn't mean to say, you know, tossing. It, it means to, just to, uh, to, to, to push a little bit out. He says, um, He says, The Mariel quotes that we do this 16 times. Okay, we do this 16 times. Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we throwing out all this wine all the time? That's the question that, that's at hand. So famously, I think the idea that we most famously are aware of is the Yalkut Shimoni. The Yalkut Shimoni says, this is in Parshish Emar, a famous idea which I think, this, this is what we take home usually. The, the, the Yalkut Shimoni is dealing with the fact that we have a discrepancy in Hallel recitation. <coughs> for the first, for the first uh, five days of Pesach, or six days of Pesach, we say, we, uh, we say Hallel. And when, I'm sorry, the first two days of Pesach we say Hallel, there afterwards we say only half Hallel. Why? So the Medrash, the Yaakov Shemoni says, Dovar Achav, Bishvil Shemesu Boy HaMitzrim. The Mitzrim died. V'chein HaTamotza, Kol Shiva Simei Achag, Onu Korim Bohem is a Halal, Avav Pesach, Ein Onu Korim is a Halal. On Sukkot, we said the full Halal the entire time. On, pe on Pesach, no. Ela B'yom Tov, Rishon V'Leilo. We only said on the first night and first day, and in Chutzar, it's the first two days and nights. Don't get happy when your friends are dying. Don't, when your en don't, don't rejoice when your enemies are, are downtrodden. Don't feel that you now are able to gloat when they're on, on their way down. So we're talking about the Makos. We're talking about how the entire Egyptian society was crushed. So don't, don't, don't gloat. This is not a moment. We as Jews are not going to gloat on the, the downfall of society. We've been at the bottom of the heel of every society. <coughs> We're not going to gloat when this happens. So in a, while we talk about their suffering, we take out a little bit of our full cup. Our cup, to, cup does not overflow at this point in time while we're talking about their suffering. That's the most famous idea. However, there are other explanations, which I, never, I wasn't aware of um, 
told pretty recently. The Mishnah Bura actually on this Shulchan Aruch says something quite different, altogether different, very different tone altogether. The Mishnah Bura says, Why? Because of the finger of God. Isn't that interesting? What's the finger of God representing? It's, it's representing his power as doing the makos. It's not about it's not about the Egyptians and our, our empathizing with their position. It's in a certain sense meta, we're almost like creating a, a, a metaphor for that for that experience. We're pulling out with the power of our finger as Hashem had power over Egypt in that way. Not like the not like the Agassi says with the small finger. And by the way, if we go around this room, I'm sure we could find many different minagim: the spoon, the baby finger. The, the, there's lots of different op- uh, options. And the Mishnah Bura says specifically the index finger. Why? Because that's representing what God did. Okay. Now, now not to dis, the, to disclaim any other minagim. It just happens to be in this thought process. This is where he's going. He says another option. Why is it 16 drops? Let's clarify. 16 drops is because 10 makos, makos 10, right? And then um, we also have Tetzach Adash Ba'achav. There is a tune to that, right? So there, there's Tetzach Adash Ba'achav, and then there's Damva Eses in Rosh Hashan. So there's 16 in total. So the Mishaburah points out, Kabbalistically, Keneged Oisios Yudvav Mishmoy Shalakolish Baruchu. Shehikoyesa Es Paro. It's interesting that apparently the letters Yud and Vav, Hashem's name is made up of a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He. Apparently the Yud and the Vav of the name are the 16 in a sense, are the 16 which represent Hashem's nakama, Hashem's vengeance upon Egypt, which is what we're representing in this. So the Mishra is talking about a completely different tone altogether. He's not talking about thinking about those poor, devastated Egyptians. He's talking about representing the power of God. So we're doing this over here altogether powerfully. That may also represent the difference in fingers, maybe, as to what's going on. One last thing which I noticed, which is, what, which is interesting, is that in a woodcut of the Praga gutter, well, let's, should we try that again? No, there we go. There. Let, let's try that. You know, we're still getting used to, to the Mac, the Max uh, presentation tools. So the 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 okay. Let's let's see. It's going to go pass us through again. There you go. Okay. So the so the the Prague I got has a woodcut in which it has a person taking out um uh, ha, has a person taking out um drops from the cup. And interestingly enough, what it actually says, the quotation on it is. So I'm going to read it to you. The quotation underneath it is this, this is again from 1526, so we're talking about really a 400 and um, almost, you know, um, a long time ago now, right? It seems to me that this is a, um, here we are, the caption of the woodcut makes the same point. It says, um, all of the illness which I put on Egypt, I will not put on you. In other words, it's as if to say they should not harm us. There's a, there's a promise that Hashem made to us that. When everything Hashem did bad to Egypt will be reflected in the good to us. So Hashem won't do the same things to us. So in a certain sense, what we're, what we're symbolizing is all the evil that happened to the Makos, the Dam it should reflect well on us. These should be insulations or protections for us that we don't experience the same things. This is kind of in between this Haggadah, this Prague Haggadah, is in between really what the Yalkut Shimon is saying in the Mishnah Bura. It's not about the vengeance, it's not about the suffering, it's about our protection, which is really the middle, the middle course, which is a very different and interesting halachic discussion about this. Let's go a little further. It was moved to Tzofen, to, to the, the end of the Haggadah, the hiding of the Afikomen. So, the, the, the instructions tell us very clearly, Right, so you take a Kazayas of the Afikomen. You know, the, at this point in time, the kids are uh, clearly, um, the, ki- the kids are, uh, um, I'm clearly in control. They have the leverage over uh, the parents, depending on which way it's uh, which way it works. Who took what and who hid what. Nonetheless, 
Um, this is this is interesting. I got it. This is a Haggadah of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. It's perhaps the most punctuated Haggadah I've I've <laughs> noticed. There's lots of exclamation points in it. Um, so here's 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 what he says. And I just he has an interesting interesting psycho- psychological insight over here about the about the Afikon, about what's hidden <coughs> in our lives. So here's here's how, here's what he says. He says Holachnu. It, it's like you can hear this is very expressive and very emotive description. Um, here's a, here's a, what he says. Holachnu leibud. We've gone to destruction. For many years, we have maybe erred from the road. We've, 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 we've taken detours. We've listened to bad advice in our lives. We didn't realize the ramifications of our steps, where we're, le- we're being led to. But every step we're taking is taking us further and further away from where we really ought to and should and want to be. In a certain sense, we're losing ourselves. We're withering away as we move in a direction which is not where we are and deserve to be in our lives. So what about now? And sometimes we turn around and we say, it's too dark, it's too cloudy to even return. Where's the way back? He says, So he gives us two options. Option number one is, we're not going to focus on this as much, but Hatzadik is, is a righteous person. Remember, in Hasidus, and certainly in this branch of Hasidus, there's, a, there's an individual who's going to be the guide. So the, 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 the righteous person, who are made herchek me'alashvilim ha'mispatchlim ha'mispatchlim hazem. So he quotes a, in the Mesilas Yisharim, who describes that this world is like a maze. Like, you know, you have a garden maze, and you like, you go into the hedges, and you're trying to find the center or the other end, and you don't really know what's going on. So what you need to do is, if you really want to cheat, what you need to do is you have somebody who is able to stand on the balcony which overlooks the backyard of this, you know, this large, the, the, this large garden. And then they're able to say, well, you know, going down that route is clearly a dead end. It doesn't look like it's to you, but I can see because I can see the, the, the whole, the vast array of, what's, of the entire maze. So he says, sometimes enough, we need to find people who can tell us how to retrace our steps to be able to find the right direction. Otherwise, we just sit down and we can't go further. He knows how far we've got in our strayings. He sees the pieces of our soul which have been shattered or lost along the way of our perilous journey. To find ourselves. Meaning to say, part of retracing our steps isn't just finding the right way, it's finding the pieces of ourselves which were lost along the way, which were hurt, and have hurt us, because we're carrying that burden of pain. And so part of our, our journey of return is to finding a spiritual guide, finding somebody who can really help us, who is just a little bit above the garden maze, who can help us find the way back. That's the, the, what, what, what he's saying. And of course, this is very much a Hasidic, Hasidic idea, where you can find somebody, but it's not just Hasidic, it's... it's it's, there, there's, a, there's a lot of truth to this. Finding those people in life who are just a, a few steps ahead of us or above us. But the second part is what I, what I wanted to focus on. And that is, in, he says in a very short line, he says, how do we find ourselves back? He's Afikoman. Who avad lanu. In a certain sense, what he's saying is representation in, in Afikoman is there's parts of ourselves. We've broken off parts of ourselves. and might even be a bigger part of our personality and it's no longer there. And there's something missing from our lives and we can't find it. So who finds it for us? Isn't interesting? He says, Nelam, no, it doesn't, uh, it hasn't disappeared. The children are hiding that part of us 
which has long been uh, lost from us, which is that, that gap in ourselves, which is, which is no longer there. And if you think about this for a moment, he actually elaborates this in a, in a more recent Haggadah. Well, this is actually a student, but the, it's been elaborated in his name in a more recent Haggadah. And if you think about this, children, right? There's so, there's so many aspects of our lives where we calcify and we become adults. Becoming adults is, and I remember hearing this beforehand at um, Rabbi Benjamin Kamenetsky's funeral, um, his Levi, just, just, uh, just under a year ago. So what's the difference between a young person, a younger man, and, a, and an older person? So the younger person is always willing to try, despite the dangers of failure. <coughs> think about that was a, scrip- a description of Rabbi Kamenetsky, because, I mean, like, he was, he was in the nursing home, you know, um, at the, I mean, he was, at, he was in the grand, at, uh, at the Grandel, and, you know, he was trying to find a shidduch for his non, non-Jewish nurse. There was never a moment in his life he was stopping to, like, project after project, idea after idea, building after building, institution after institution. That's what it means to be young, is never stopping, never ceasing to try. What happens as we become adults is we realize that when we try enough times, we get burnt. We try enough times, it doesn't work. And then the risk outweighs the curiosity to try. That's what ends up happening as we become adults. And in a certain sense, we lose aspects of who we should or could be. That's really what happens. We, 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 there, there's this potential of what we would have, let's say, 20 years ago, have with that twinkle in our eye, would have tried, despite the fact we, would have, we, 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 we might have lost something. <coughs> and that would have been our greatest thing, but we're not willing to do that because it's too dangerous now. We're too dangerous. The vulnerability of self-exposure, the vulnerability financially, whatever it is. You know, that's interesting enough, in um, one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, Outliers, he talks about if you, they, they, they did a longitudinal research about the richest people in the world, in all of world history. I mean, say, you know, comparing currencies, comparing, you know, world, world, world economies at the time to see who the most, and it's interesting, you know, you see Cleopatra backed up to, you know, to, uh, you know, Rockefeller. You know, like, it's interesting, you know, like, across all of history, who the richest people were. So in the, I believe, if I'm trying to remember this, in the top 20, uh, um, or the top 50, I think it is, of these people, um, I believe that 11 of them lived in, um, lived in the late 1800s, meaning to say they, bu- they were born in the, uh, the range of about 10 years in 18, I think it's 1840 to 1850 was the, the age that these, the most rich, the Rockefellers, you know, the, um, the, um, the Carnegies, right, all, all the, the steel, right, so the, the analysis that he did was, and this is his argument, is that there was a window of opportunity following the Civil War there were these people who were in their late 20s, early 30s. Late 20s was just enough experience to know how to go into business, but not enough family yet for taking risks. There was not yet the taxes that would have crippled their, their, their great steel industries and the great rail industries of the time for them to invest. Meaning that this critical point in life where they, didn't, they, they, they still had that ability to try without the danger of risking their families. Think about that for a moment. And, and how that allowed them to, for that window of time to be the, the world's most, well, I wouldn't call successful, but richest people of all times. Now, if we think about that, what we've lost is, what the, what the children are hiding is, that part of us, which sometimes comes out only at the end, where we forget who what we were and what we could have tried. That's what they're revealing to us. They bring back that to us. There's a book called um, The Element by Sir Ken Robinson. Um, he, he was knighted in England and then left England, you know, and then he came to uh, L.A. As he says, it was a seamless move, um, as you can imagine. Um, and one of the things he, he talks about in, in this book called The Element, which is a very worthwhile read. It's a very interesting thought, uh, thought um, a book. It's called The Element over here. And he, what he, he says is, he talks about how that 
part of our ability or our charge in education is to be able to allow children to keep experimenting. So he gives an example. He talks about how he's in you know, the five-year-old class. I love this story. There's the, he's in the five-year-old kindergarten. Um, and the teacher's going around and she says that they, 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 they are allowed to do free-range free drawing. They're allowed to make a picture of anything they want. So she's going around the class and everybody's doing their you know, little house and the snowman and the leaves falling and all the different things they're doing. And Susie at the back is sitting there and uh, every time the teacher comes past, she covers up her work. And so she says, Susie, can I ask you, what are you drawing? She says, she looks around and she says, it's a secret. She says, well, you can tell me. I won't tell anybody else. She says, I'm drawing God. So she says, but Susie, nobody knows what God looks like. And she says, well, in a few minutes they will. <laughs> <laughs> but in a certain sense, what ends up happening, in a certain sense, what happens in our lives is we close down that ability to try things because whether it's a, an attitude, whether it's the way we look at the children, where it's what society's saying, where it's the focus on STEM, whatever it is, that, we, that trying is not worth it because we know the answers. We know where the end point is and we don't allow that back. Soften is that moment, says Rav Nachman, where we allow that back into our lives. Allow what's hidden, the parts of ourselves which were hidden in our lives to be rediscovered. What an unbelievable insight. What an unbelievable insight. Something to live with. Two more ideas and we'll close, uh, we'll close with this. This is, um, this is the, the part which has always puzzled me. This is the, the end of the Haggadah, as we're getting towards the end of the Haggadah, which is Eliyahu at the door. We, we pour the cup of Eliyahu, and we go to the door, those who are still vertical, and, um, and, we, and we, we say this paragraph of Shvoi Chabos, which, by the way, was a later introduction to the Seder. You won't find this in the Seder as described by the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah has a certain structure. This, is a, this seems to be a later introduction. Why is that we're mentioning Eliyahu? Why are we, why are we standing by the door this night? Always something which, which confused me. So there are interesting, some interesting um, thoughts. Um, there, is a, there, there are some people who suggest, just interestingly enough, and this is just, just for, 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 for thought. If you go to the Gemara in Arab Sachem, just on a halachic level, the Gemara talks about there's a, something what's called zugois, a threat of zugois. Zugois literally means pairs which means it's a very tough sugya to read through, if anyone's gone through it recently. It talks about how you shouldn't have foods in pairs. Why? Because pairs ultimately welcome in demons. There's a, there, there's a certain, there's a certain um, a darker force in this world which you welcome in when we eat in pairs. Now today, the Gomorrah says, those who are worried about it should worry about it. Those who don't worry about it, don't worry about it. So, but the Gomorrah does suggest, and it asks how it, how it is, that maybe the Arbacoises are zugos, because they come in pairs, right? The Gemara discusses maybe each one is its own mitzvah, maybe they're independent, maybe they don't relate to one another. But there's an opinion that says, no, they're separated from one another because this, this one's at the beginning of Maggi, this one's after Maggi, this one's at the beginning of the meal, this one's after the meal. So some of the, some, some of the, some of the halachic opinions say that maybe part of the reason is that we have Shvay Chamoscha as we insert a prayer, not just Halel, we insert a prayer in between the third and the fourth cup to separate them. Interesting, interesting thought. Just on, on a, halachic, a halachic level, um, take it as you, as you may. But there's, there, there are other ideas as well. The Maral says famously in his Haggadah, and it's just very, very, uh, very futuristic, or, or not futuristic, but very like, you know, insightful into the future. The Maral died at the beginning of the 1600s, just to appreciate this. The Maral says that when we're about to ask for Gu'ula, that Hashem is going to bring us redemption, we should remember that the only person who brings Gu'ula is Eliyahu. We open the door and we remind ourselves that there's not going to be anybody else who's standing at that door. It's interesting because Shabtai Tzvi lived just after the Maharal. 1666 was the apex of the Shabtai Tzvi's false messianism. And it was a terrible time for the Jews. We suffered for two centuries following them because of that in many different ways. What is being said over here 
is I, I, the maral the maral is suggesting is is remember that when we talk about gula, let's remember the address of gula. Let's not forget it, which is just an interesting thing. Obviously, at the time we've suffered from many false messiahs. Maral is obviously referring to some in the past, but none are more destructive than the ones that followed them. Nonetheless, here's what here's what I got, which I received recently, um, called the Shemin Hatov, Rabbi Bernard Weinberg. Anybody heard the, heard the name? So, from I mean, young Israel of, of, of Brooklyn. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful <coughs> individual. He has a Pirishal Torah called Shemanatov. And on the Haggadah, he just came, his Haggadah came out, Tavshin Ayn Dalit. So, this is a very recent Haggadah. And he really has just very interesting insights. He says something which I had never thought about. This is, this is now a Parshanut kind of uh, 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 swing on things. He points out that when we're talking about Shvoi Chamos Chalagoyim, where Hashem pour thy wrath or thy wrath onto the nations, he points out that if you look at the structure of the Haggadah, we talked about in Magid where we were slaves and the terrible beginnings we had and how we moved upwards and Hashem saved us, smote them down and brought us out and, that, and then we started saying Halal. That was before we ate the meal. Now we eat the meal, so we need to pick up from there. So he points out that we, we're picking up the same strand, which is Hashem, as you are pouring your wrath onto them, carry on in a futuristic way to the, to, to, um, to, to the future. But he says the following. He goes on, uh, the, uh, he says here, yeah, five lines in. The, he says, because before you leave, <laughs> the nation who enslaves you is going to be judged by me. There is going to be justice at the end of the day. You can only really get to the point of real Yitzias Mitzrayim once there's been a justice. And we think about the centuries of lack of justice in our history. The, un, the unjustified or the unpunished blood of our brothers, sisters who, are, who have died throughout the centuries. He says only after that we only get real redemption when that, when that comes to exactitude. By the way, who's doing the judging? God. Okay, just to be clear on that. Okay, um... So who we're referring to? He says, Paro is the paradigm of the person who we're trying to eradicate. Isn't this interesting? Shvach HaMoschah ultimately is actually quoting the Pasuk that Paro himself said. Do we ever think about that? That's exactly what Paro did. He wasn't willing to look at Hashem. So we start off by saying, on people like Pharaoh, because that's the way redemption is going to happen. I think it's a reminder and then he turns about and then he turns about and he talks about he says, Gam Oz Trichim Kaim Adana Noichi Kodamakuna, Nochen Tirdoy Paafa Sashmidemitaka Shmea Shem Mispalim She Kaim Hashem is Adana Noichi Bimahera. We say today Hashem as well, please find a find those people who've plotted, those people who've killed, those people who've maimed throughout the history, and take care of them as we approach our redemption. As we bring in Eliyahu, remember that moment. But it's interesting that the paradigm of this is ultimately Paro, and we saw it did happen to Paro, which is just a very interesting insight on a Parshanut level, which I think is, uh, which is very, very worthy. Last, last idea, and we'll close, uh, just close with this, and that is the dipping. I, I, I think we're all familiar with this, and this is just a framework. We're all familiar with this, but it, it's so powerful to put the pieces together. You notice that the Haggadah starts and ends with dipping, right? Meaning Karpas is the beginning, and then Maro is at the end. That, that's really the, the Maggid is sandwiched between two sets of dipping. 
But it's interesting that if you look at all of the redemption, all of, all of the whole Yetzirah Mitzrayim episode, it was, also, it was also bracketed by dippings. Now, we know the different pieces, but who puts them together? The first dipping was, Yosef. where did the whole thing is? Is by Yosef, Yosef, right? And we talked, a few years ago, we learned together, we learned together the relevance of Yosef and, and the connection to Yetzirah Mitzrayim. But just for, just for a brief moment, how was it that we went down to Mitzrayim or started with a, a fight between brothers, selling a brother down the river um, and dipping his coat in blood to show the, um, the poor father Yaakov you know, that he died? That's how it started. When did it end? Which was the moment of freedom? It was ultimately where we also dipped blood. We took the blood of the Paschal lamb, we dipped it here, we dipped the Azov, the, this, this hyssop into it, and we painted it onto the doorpost. Think about that for a second. The, the, it started and ended with dipping. I say the starts and ends with dipping in the same way. What a, br- what a brilliant insight. But then he, then he takes it one step further. This is just, this is just a very interesting thought. He says the following. The two dippings, this is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in his Agara, um, which of course is, should be on everybody's shelf and heart, which is, uh, is uh, you know, different editions come out, but it's really, really worth whether this is actually to be found in the Haggadah portion, not in the essay portion. Most people go to the essays and read them before Pesach. It's worth just seeing this on the Pirushim on the bottom of the page as well. He says, the two dippings recall these events. The karpas itself sweet. Now, I'm not sure if that means to say that he prefers potato. Okay, but nonetheless. Um, the karpas itself sweet is dipped in salt and becomes sour. The maror itself bitter is dipped in the sweet charoises and has some of the bitterness removed. Isn't that interesting? So like there's a movement in the opposite direction of these two dippings. These two acts remind us that freedom which is sweet becomes sour when we use it to mistreat others. When freedom of expression turns into hate speech. When freedom of action turns into curtailing and hurting others. That's when that, 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 that loses it. It's, it's soaked in the bitterness. Slavery which is bitter is sweetened when collective suffering becomes human solidarity and thus a prelude to freedom. So the same bitterness can be dipped into sweetness and transformed, and that's the movement of the Seder, from dipping one to dipping two. In the meantime, God willing, all of these ideas should be something which we not just learn about, think about, repeat, but live, God willing, as we move towards our Gu'ula, Lashon Abba Thank you very much.